It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. I tell you what, Rich. Uh, well, first of all, before I even get into that, I want to say, didn't we have a wonderful time in Nashville last week at the National Religious Broadcasters? Association. It was a wonderful time. The annual convention in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was a week ago, and it was fantastic. NRB, National Religious Broadcasters Association. That was my 60th time being there. 6-0. Man alive. Uh, You know, folks, in spite of the, the difficulties on every hand, internationally and here in America, somehow there was an electricity. There was a mixture it was just wonderful. I don't know if it was me or if it was the way it was put together, but I really enjoyed it. Terrific attendance, over 3,800 people, the most they've had in a number of years. And some of the speakers included Michael Youssef, Alan Jackson, Robert Jeffress, Tony Evans received a, a wonderful award, yeah. Ken Ham from the Creation Museum and the Ark, and Bishop E.W. Jackson. <laughs> All right, now, now listen now. This particular program today... This complete story today is going to delve into a subject deeply, uh, more deeply in a different way than we have before. But let's start out and let's start thinking about this song, what it means to be part of the Lord's family, God's family, one race, one blood. He created us. Listen to this. Now you'll notice we say, brother, and sister around here you know why it's because we're family and these folks are so dear when one has a heartache we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel the sun, for I'm part of the family. Family of God From the door of an orphanage To the house of the king No longer an outcast A new song I sing From rags unto riches from the weak to the strong I'm not worthy to be here but praise God I belong Oh, sing the song I've been washed in the fountain Cleansed by 
traveled aside For I'm part of the family The family of God Yes, I'm part of the family The family of God Yeah, and you know if you believe you are also part of the family of God, I want you to just ponder the meaning of that. Because if we are part of the family of God, we ought to get to know each other <laughs> and have some fellowship. And that's what today's program is going to be about. I had such a good time last week at NRB that when I got home, I got going through some archives. Because two or three years ago, for the breakfast that bought Radio Network sponsors. I wanted a speaker that would just really bring people together. And the name Miles McPherson came to my attention by a friend from San Diego, Miles McPherson from the Rock Church. Well, Rich, what do we know about Miles McPherson? Because the people are about to hear what he has to say. Right. Well, he is the pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego. Originally from New York, he's a former NFL football player. He played with the San Diego Chargers from 1982 to 1985. His wife is Debbie, and together they have seven children. He authored a book called The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation, with a foreword by Chargers quarterback Drew Brees. Yeah. You know, folks, we all deal with old human nature. Pray to the Lord to deliver us from our nature that we were born with, human nature. Um, so turn your radio up. Turn your radio up and listen to every word. Now listen, this is Dick Bott talking now. <laughs> Don't miss a word and ponder as he's walking through what he told us two years ago. Here it is. My name is Miles McPherson. I'm from New York. I uh, had a dream to play in the NFL when I was growing up. Uh, in 1982, I was drafted to the Los Angeles Rams. I played, uh, got cut, which means I got fired, didn't get paid. Went and played for the San Diego Chargers four years. Um, one day, my family was standing in a circle, uh, maybe 15 years ago. We were standing around getting ready to pray for dinner, and my mom starts crying. My mother had five kids in six years. Uh, she was 4'11". Uh, she worked full-time, took us to school, football, baseball, dance class, everything we did. Uh, she was amazing. And she, we were standing around in a circle, and she started crying. And in her tears, she said, this is all I ever wanted, was for her kids to be together. Because we, we, after we got out of college, we all went all over the place. And when God looks at our country, that's what he says. He says, all I ever wanted was y'all to love each other. I don't see why that's so complicated. I want to talk about how we are so racially divided in this country but more importantly, how we can come together. Can I get amen? People ask me, I wrote a book called The Third Option, which is in the, in the uh, lobby there, about this. Um, people ask me, Do you, are you optimistic about what's happening or, or is it bad? I said, I have two feelings about what's going on. It is obviously very bad. People are very divided. People are overtly uh, divisive and racist. But I believe that the devil is overplaying his hand. There gets a point in all of our lives when we all get saved. And we get saved when the devil pushes us too far. For me, it was cocaine. I did cocaine for my first two years with the San Diego Chargers, and I got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, okay, Jesus, I need you. And I believe in my heart that the devil has pushed our country too far, and people are finally saying, what can I do? 
We live in a us versus them culture. Everyone say us, <laughs> say them. If you watch the news, if you have conversations, you always feel like you have to pick a side. Are you for white, if you're black, if you're the police, or if you're against the police? My father was a police officer, my son's a police officer. There's a third option. Everyone say third option. Because God did not create an us versus them culture. Third option is that we honor what we all have in common. That we all have more in common than we have in different. That every single one of us is made in the image of God. Every single one of us wants to have purpose. Every single one of us bleeds red. That we have more in common than we have in different. And the devil has used our differences, our slight difference, to cause division in our country. I want to talk about how we got divided, but more importantly, how we can be united. Let me say two points to set us up. I come from a family that is very racially diverse. All my grandparents are from Jamaica and West Indies. I have two black grandfathers, one white grandmother, and one half black and Chinese grandmother. Mr. Wong came to Jamaica West Indies, had a baby, that was my grandma. Uh, my name, McPherson, comes from three Scottish brothers that came from Scotland and came to Jamaica. My white grandmother, when she was a kid, her parents sent her to Jamaica Queens so she wouldn't marry a black Jamaican. Guess what happened in Jamaica? She met a black Jamaican. <laughs> Except he couldn't go in the front door of her house. He had to go into the back door of her house. When they got married, they disowned her, so we never met her family. They lived 15 minutes away. I grew up in a black neighborhood, went to school in a white neighborhood for the first eight years of my life. I got harassed in the white neighborhood because I wasn't black. Got harassed in the black neighborhood because I wasn't black enough. I don't want to give you one insight that God showed me in writing this book that I hope will give you room to receive what God's going to say to you. You can be racially offensive and not be a racist. I've had so many conversations with people who cannot separate those two things. So when they are told that something they say or do is racially offensive, they feel like they're being called a racist. Some people may do that to you. However, there are people who say racially offensive things, but they're not necessarily a racist. Why is that important? If you cannot separate those two things. So give yourself opportunity to think, maybe there's something I don't know about things. Maybe there's something God's going to teach me because in the end, the church must lead the cause, must lead this chase to, to unify our country. Can I get an amen? In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's leading the Israelites into the promised land. He's going to be confronted by the commander of the Lord's army. And the commander of the Lord's army is going to have a sword drawn in his hand. And the commander of the Lord's army, and he's going to ask the commander of the Lord's army an us versus them question. It says in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us? Or our adversaries. This is exactly what we feel in our culture. It is us versus them. And by the way, once you define them, they become your adversary. It's the people who are like me against the people who are not like me. And Joshua says to the commander of the Lord's army, are you on our side or are you on my adversary's side? And the commander of the Lord's army said something very interesting. He said, no. He says, I'm not on neither one of your side. There's a third option. He said, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face and worshiped. And he said, what does the Lord of his servants say? He said, the commander of the Lord's army says, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The commander of the Lord's army said, this is not your battle. I am not on your side. I want you to be on my side. My plea to us is that we would say, Lord, how do you want to unite our country? How do you want us to love our neighbor? How do you want us to see other people and view other people? And what do you want us to think about people who don't look like us, believe what we believe, watch the network that we don't watch? You guide and direct us. Let this not be about what we want. Let this be about what you want. And as I said in the beginning, we all have more in common than there are differences. And a sociologist uh, 
call it grouping, that they say that all humans place themselves in multiple groups. And once you decide and identify the group that you're in, that's your in-group. The people not in that group are your out-group. The people of your in-group are those who are like me. The people who are not like you are those people who are not like me. That's your out-group. And once you identify your in-group, those are the people that you understand really well. Whatever group you're in, you understand that group. Whatever group you're not in, you don't understand. And if those people are not like you, you have to know you don't understand them. Once you identify your group, you exercise in-group bias. Everyone say in-group bias. In-group bias is the tendency to give preferential treatment to the people who are like me. When someone comes up here and starts talking about Jesus, all of a sudden we're part of the same family. Some say, Jesus is Lord, and I believe in America, and all that kind of stuff. And we say, okay, that's our in-group, because we all got the cold words, right? I'm going to give you 10 characteristics of in-group bias. This is stuff that you do, whether it's racial or not, and you do it not even thinking about it. Just look at the screen. I am more comfortable with those who are like me. I am more inclined to spend time socially with those who are like me. I am more patient with those who are like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker with those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It's easier to communicate to those who are like me. I assume that I will get along easier with those who are like me. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions about those who are like me. I preached in um, Alabama a month ago, this message, and the school, uh, a lot of the people were Bama fans. But if you said Auburn, oh, you weren't in this group. (laughs) But all you had to do was say, I like Bama. And all of a sudden, hey, come to my house, eat my food, marry my daughter, whatever it is. But if you were from Auburn, they were getting ready to shoot you out in the back, okay? The opposite is true. We treat those of our out-group a little different. I am less comfortable with those who are not like me. I am less inclined to spend time socially with those who are not like me. I am less patient with those who are not like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker, slower to those who are not like me. I express less grace When mistakes are made by those not like me, it is more difficult to communicate with those who are not like me. I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are not like me. And I possess less positive assumptions about those who are not like me. Um, We do this all the time. And you may say, well, I'm not a racist. I don't, I don't, uh, and you're probably not. But let me tell you something. That's exactly what it feels like. And as believers in Christ, God says, I can do better than that. You know, in our culture, we always talk about we want to tolerate people. God says, where did I say in the word? I want you to tolerate somebody. I want you to love people and honor people, and value people. So what do we got to do? Six things. Number one, acknowledge that you have blind spots. Everyone say blind spots. Blind spots is that you don't know what you don't know. All of us have blind spots. A social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. It is the story of what your parents, your kids, your neighborhood, your school, your brothers and sisters taught you, or you consumed all the information when you were kids that developed a prescription through which you see the world. The problem is your social narrative is only part of the story. There's a, there's a leadership coach in San Diego called Stephen Jones. He wrote a, an article called The Right Hand of Privilege. He said that the world was made for right-handed people. How many of y'all are right-handed? Raise your hand. Very good. Raise your hand really high. Just elbow above your ear just so we can look around and look at all y'all righties. Okay, put your hands down. How many, how many of y'all left-handed like me and special? There we go. Here we're special people. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got the short end of the stick. <laughs> The world was made for right-handed people. If you're righty and you want to get a golf club, you can go to any golf shop and get any golf club at any golf shop. If you're left-handed, you might find it after five golf shops. If you're righty, you can get a catcher's mitt in any sporting goods store. If you're lefty, you may not ever find one. 
There has never been a left-handed catcher in the World Series in the history of baseball. If you're right-handed, we shake with your hand. Call it right privilege. You didn't even know you had that advantage. And you didn't know the left-handed disadvantage because you live with it your whole life. I can say to the right-handed guy, listen, I can't find a catcher's man. He says, why can't you find it? I found mine. It was easy. I found golf clubs. No problem. The fact that you didn't know I had the disadvantage doesn't mean that you're a bad person, but it also doesn't take away the disadvantage. We have blind spots. There's things we don't know about other people's experiences. Number two, rename those people to brother or sister or neighbor. The greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 37, love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone say neighbor. That means Jesus said your greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, love God and then love your neighbor. If you don't do that, then stop everything else and get that right. The whole Bible is based on those two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Everyone say neighbor. The problem is there's a loophole. If we change someone's title to less than neighbor, we don't have to love them. As soon as we say they're those people or we name somebody that white this or that privileged this or that black this or that illegal this, we dehumanize them and we disqualify ourselves from having to love them, yet we can still be Christian because they're not my neighbor, so I still get to do the verse and still get to honor God at the same time mistreat somebody else and dehumanize someone else. When you give someone a label, you cannot treat them outside that label. For all of you who have ever called just your child a derogatory name, God forbid, call them stupid, you can never see smart in that person. When you call them dumb you can, or you call them ugly, you can never see cute because that label limits everything you can ever hope for that person. And then when God looks around every single one of us and every single person on this earth, he says, that is a person I made in my image that I love, that I have put the ability to have divine relationship and a spiritual relationship in that person. That's the only label we need to put on people. By the way, there's white supremacists that come to my church. I pastor a church in San Diego. We have uh, seven locations, uh, about 20,000 people every week, we, and we have all kinds of nationalities that look like the United Nations. And I got white supremacists coming to my church. Go figure. Why? Because God said, you need to go. Guess what? God made them in his image. They are my neighbor. And the only way the Holy Spirit's going to work through me to convert them is if I see them as my neighbor. Everybody you see, put the label neighbor on them. Every time my wife and I see a homeless person, we, we sit in the car and we pray, and we say, you know, that person was a beautiful baby one day. What happened? It's my neighbor. Number three, give in-group love to your out-group. In-group bias to your out-group. Treat those people who are not like you, like you. Matthew 5, 43, you, shall, you heard it said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and, and, and you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Mm-mm. But I say love your enemies. Love your outgroup like you love your in-group. Number four, acknowledge your brother and sister's color. I remember the first time someone told me they didn't see my color. I thought they had astigmatism. I said, um, you don't see gray, green, red? They said, no, no, I see green, red, and blue. I said, we just don't see your color. I said, well, how do you know I have a color not to see if you don't see it? <laughs> your eye is the only visible part of your brain outside your body. Your brain is a three and a half pound computer, the most complex computer in the world. And it has an extension that pops out of your head and it is called your eyes. <laughs> your eyes process 10 million bits of information per second. Your eyes account for 90% of your brain activity. They can process shape, depth, movement, texture, and they process color involuntarily. 
you can't not see it. And even if you close your eyes, you see black. <laughs> you will see color. And when that person said that to me, what they did is they invalidated everything that my color represents to me. The Bible says that you shall bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you ignore a, child, a person's burden, how can you bear it? I was talking to a young lady once. She got a tan in Hawaii. She's a white girl and she got a tan. And I was, she said, I got this tan. I laid out seven days a week. It's so beautiful. It's amazing how we can celebrate a tan that we get in Hawaii. But when someone gets a tan in a womb, we invalidate it. God said, all of y'all are beautiful. By, by the way, the world says you have white people and you have people of color. You know what God says? I just made all people of color because white is a color as well. And when the devil's trying to divide us, I'm going to say God wants to unite us. And he said, I made all colors, including white, uh, to be one under my heart and under one banner. Can I get amen? Uh, number five, every conversation you have is a race conversation. Turn it into a race consultation. What does that mean? Because you do see color, we all know who we're talking to. And every time you're talking to somebody, you are processing in your head. You are either affirming or your assumptions are being challenged. Understand that you have assumptions. We have social narrative. We have assumptions about people who are like us. I can't tell you how many people come to me and said, are you black? Are you white? Are you Puerto Rican? Why? Because they're trying to figure out what I am. I'm just cute. That's all. Just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, but even when you have conversations with people who look like you, what you think about people who are like you are being challenged or reinforced. My challenge to you is to have a race consultation. What does that mean? Is that you take all your assumptions, you acknowledge your assumptions, you set them aside and say, now educate me about who you are. People are fascinating. God made people in his image with the ability to know him, to speak to him, to speak for him, to process his word, to share his love, to walk in his grace. They are fascinating. And yet our assumptions and what we consume from culture, we try to beat that down and minimize that and put shameful titles on that and tell us to avoid people who are actually amazing. Go up to people and have race consultations. Allow them to inform you about who they are and acknowledge the blind spots that you have and allow them to fill it in and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and teach you how to love more fully, more biblically, more spiritually than we've ever loved before. And let's not take our cues from what culture is telling us. The church is the most segregated place on the planet. 97% of churches are segregated. What does that mean? That 80% of the people in the church look the same? There's a practice years ago called redlining where they were, they were banks would put a red line around different communities and say, we're not going to loan in that community or we're going to hike the rates up. It still happens today. Churches redline. We hang out with our own. We avoid communities in our own city. That's a shame it breaks God's heart because his, his love is more powerful than any division in this nation and in this world. But we're the only ones that steward that and have to manage that and display that and express that. My last point is this, give your heart to someone who doesn't look like you. Unless we put our heart into the well-being of our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. The story of the Good Samaritan tells us who our neighbor is. <laughs> Everybody. There was a baseball player named Rod Carew. Rod Carew was a Panamanian baseball player. He had 18-year All-Stars, Rookie of the Year, MVP, 328 batting average, Panamanian about my color. And when he was 71 years old, he had a heart condition, needed a heart and a kidney. At the same time, there was a 27-year-old white football player, football being the greatest sport in the world, just in case you didn't know that. We just want to make that clear before I go. Named Conrad Rulin. Conrad was 27 years old. He played in the NFL. He was a tight end. He had a brain aneurysm, went into a coma. 
His mother goes into the hospital. She's praying for him that he will come out of the coma. She says, I know I'm going to hear your heartbeat again. Please, baby, please wake up. Conrad died, 27 years old. He had signed his organs over to be donated. His heart and his kidney went to Rod Carew. When he was 11 years old, he came home and said, Mom, I met my hero, Rod Carew. I'm going to be a pro athlete. And he ended up going to the NFL. Now he's dead. His heart and his kidney are in a black Panamanian's body. And his mother calls up Rod Carew and says, Mr. Carew, I think you have my son's heart and kidney. And he says, would you like to come hear your son's heart? She goes over his house. She hears his heartbeat. They live right here in California. They are friends to this day. If we are so different, if it's us versus them, how is it that this white 27-year-old football player's heart and kidney can go into that black Panamanian's body? Let's not believe what the devil has told us. Let's trust that the love of God can take us beyond what we feel comfortable, beyond what's politically correct. Let's not allow the devil to divide the body of Christ. Let's represent the love that God died on the cross to display for us. And Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, you called us to more. We have to do better. And we can do better. Thank you for this network of radio stations and all these people that represent millions of believers. And Lord, I pray you challenge us to more, to more humility, more love, more grace, more patience, and that you bring to our mind those people, and that you challenge and prick our heart that they too are our neighbor, and you open our eyes up to our own blind spots that we may love like you loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. Amen. Hearing that again just now just moves me just moves me to tears almost. Uh, people are going to want to hear that again. Can they hear it on our website? Yes, it's in the archive section of our website, also on the mobile apps. Well, it, will it be easy for them to find yes, it? Yes, yes, on the mobile apps. You just go, like, on your phone to where it says, you know, go download the Bot Radio Network app, but then where it says On Demand, then uh, click on that and look up Complete well, Story. what if they don't know about apps and all that stuff? They just want to find it. Where would they find it on their computer? On their website, Bot Radio Network. Look up the archives under the programs. You'll find Complete Story. And the Complete Story for this weekend is that program. BotRadioNetwork.com. All right. Well, God bless you, uh, family of God. This is Dick Bot and my son, Rich. Um, this program is going to be repeated again. God bless everybody. With this chapter, the Complete Story, I'll see you later. <laughs> 